Um, we have the privilege, as Mark mentioned earlier, of having James Jordan here to open God's Word and preach and then to report on what God's doing at Western Kentucky afterwards back in here at 11.15. So thanks, James. Thank you, Paul. Is this, is this set up right? Can you all hear me okay? Yeah? I see lots of nods and smiles, so that's good. We're starting off on the right foot. Um, so, yeah, my name is James. I'm the campus minister at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green. And uh, I am, um, I'm new to RUF, but I'm not new to ministry. I, I got ordained in 2017, but I was working unordained for before that. So I'm coming up on nine years of full-time ministry work. Um, so campus ministry is the newest iteration of that for me. Um, but it's my privilege to open up God's word with you this morning and uh, I want to say a couple things about the book of Ephesians before we dive in. So, uh, obviously, we're starting in kind of a, in the middle of a course of an argument that Paul is unfolding in the book of Ephesians. And, and Ephesus, in this day and age, was a place that had a temple to Artemis. So, this was a pagan city. There was worship that was common of pagan deities. And you have this young church of people who don't really understand what it means to live in light of the cross and the resurrected Christ. So that's really the only intro I wanna give this morning, just that we're all Christians. I, I say that for those who are believers in the room, if you're not sure if you're a believer yet, I still want you to listen. But those of you who have already decided that Jesus is the only way, you still don't know how to live that life. So the book of Ephesians is great for us as it gives guidance for what it means to live as a believer. So what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna read Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21, but I'm gonna give special attention to verses 20 and 21 for the purpose of preaching this morning. So I encourage you to listen closely as this is God's word. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding beyond our flesh. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for giving us your word, that you have not left us to wander as sheep without a shepherd, but you have sent your word. And Lord, you have called me and Paul and other pastors into this office where sometimes we bring your word as a hammer that brings stones into pieces and sometimes we bring your word as healing balm. And Lord, your word accomplishes sometimes both at the same time depending on who's in the room. So Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures would do their work this morning, that it would come as a hammer is needed to break stones into pieces but also it would bring encouragement to those who are weak and weary sinners, desperate for a good word. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for the promise of your return. We look forward to a resurrection of our own one day, and I pray that you will use this time that I would get out of the way of your word as we look at it more now together. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
So in the classic Willy Wonka from the 1970s, not the weird one with Johnny Depp. I'm not a big fan of that one. That's just me personally. But the one with Gene Wilder, um, that's, that's the good one. There's a song that a girl named Veruca sings when she is in the chocolate factory, and she happens upon this room where there are these geese that are laying golden chocolate eggs, if you remember this story. And she is deeply selfish, and she demands one of the geese for herself. And she demands a whole lot more stuff. Her father just kind of weakly tries to rein her in. is like, oh, you can have all that stuff when you get home. And she answers him by singing this song, which I am tempted to sing, but I will not sing. It goes like this. She answers him singing, no, now. I want a ball. I want a party. Pink macaroons and a million balloons and performing baboons and give it to me now. I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I want today. I want tomorrow. I want to wear them in braids like my hair. I want to wear them like braids in my hair, and I don't want to share them. I want a party with rooms full of laughter, 10,000 tons of ice cream. And if I don't get the things I'm after, I'm going to scream. I want the works. I want the whole works. Presents and prizes and sweets and surprises of all shapes and sizes. And now, I don't care how, I want it now. And we hear this song, and we think, whoo, she's delightful. (laughs) So this is a dramatic representation of the selfishness of a child. And we might feel safe from being accused of selfishness ourselves because we think, at least I'm not that bad, you know? So she's a child of wealth. Her father delights in giving her what she wants and asks for to a fault. She wears fine clothes and she's well-kempt. She's well put together. And she's singing this song from an exclusive behind-closed-doors party that's getting private access to the factory. But she's not thankful for anything or to anyone. Wonka speaks up, and her father attempted to get her to submit to his words, but she won't submit. And the song ends when she stands on top of this contraption that has this gauge that swings from good to bad, red and green, good egg, bad egg. And as she's singing her song, she puts her hands on her hips and she's just belting it out and the gauge swings to bad egg and the trap door opens up, she falls in, it's the last you ever see of her. To point out selfishness in others, to point out others not being thankful and not submitting as they ought to is really easy. But the reality is, is that we all are selfish. We're not thankful. And we don't submit as we ought to. So what the passage in Ephesians we're looking at together today, this is what it reminds us of, is that for everyone in Christ, there is a better way. There is a better way. And a big question I want to ask as I continue to look at this text this morning is, where do we turn to deal with our selfishness? What do we do about it? Here's your one sentence. If you check out, you know, if you're, you're somebody who, you know, this guy's up here and he's talking a long time and I'm thinking about lunch. Here's your, here's your one sentence of where everything's going today, okay? One sentence. Because Christ showed us how to love, we ought to follow his lead. It's pretty basic stuff when you think about it, but we lose the basic stuff sometimes the worst. So here it is in an outline form. If you like it spelled out a little bit into two points, stated all together, because... Christ showed us how to love God in thankfulness, verse 20. 
And because Christ showed us how to love one another in submission, verse 21, believers ought to follow his lead. So let's dig in. How does walking with Christ change our ungratefulness before God? Uh, my wife, Leah, who's home in Bowling Green this morning with my three boys, is, uh, uh, we were married in 2004, and right after I finished my undergrad at Valdosta State University in Valdosta, Georgia, and we lived the married with no kids lifestyle until 2011 when my twins were born. So in between that, we had a situation that was a bit like verse 20 getting put to the test, giving thanks always and for everything. In December 2007, while serving as a captain and a battalion staff officer in the United States Army, I found out that in March 2008, I would leave for a combat zone deployment with my unit to Iraq for 455 days, consecutive days. That's 15 months. Now, a regular Army deployment, at least in those days, I don't know what's going on today, but in those days was 12 months. But Operation Iraqi Freedom was hot and heavy, and deployments had been extended for most units, and my unit was one of those that got caught up in those extended deployments. So I wasn't really excited about the prospect of a 12-month uh, break from being with my wife. We had no kids yet, but you know we were wanting to have kids, and I'm trying to imagine being a parent with children that I get to see you know, in between a year being away. I couldn't wrap my head around it, so I already knew that the Army was probably not what I was called to for the rest of my adult life. So when 15 months came out of the mouth of our, of our folks telling us what was going to happen, I was not even close to thankful for that news. I was not ready to give thanks always and for everything. And I wasn't really especially concerned for the other guys in my unit. That's not where my head was. I was very concerned about what it meant for me, though. Very concerned about what it meant for my wife. I knew that culturally that soldiers were often divorced from their spouses due to the stress of long separations like this. I knew that whether I died or was injured in Iraq or whether I was honorably discharged, I was not going to continue serving the army. And on the surface, I would look at the situation and ask, what is there to give thanks for? This appears to be an objectively bad situation for me and Leah that I must endure, that we must endure together, but separated. You get the point. So give thanks? Yeah, right. That's what I thought. The possibility that God could use even these events for good seemed highly unlikely for me. So the strange thing about following Christ, though, is that there is a different way for believers to look at situations like this that my wife and I would soon learn through experience. In Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, as we heard in the text, when we follow his lead, it becomes possible to give thanks even for times like these instead of being ruled by our selfishness. So in verse 20, Paul is continuing a thought that was introduced back in verse 18, which is part of why I wanted to make sure that I read it before we got into it. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Debauchery is a word that has to do with spilling. So you kind of think of like having a, a cup that's too full and you're like spilling it everywhere. So he says, don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. And then you have the opposite, but be filled with the Spirit. And he continues on in verse 19 and following. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is what Paul continues to unpack in verses 20 through 21. 
where I'm focusing today. So verse 20 begins with one of those I-N-G words, a participle. So it's a word that's describing a reality that is consistent with being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is giving thanks. Giving thanks isn't necessarily a hard idea to understand. I mean, Thanksgiving wasn't that long ago. And, you know, I don't know if you're a L.A. Rams fan, but, you, you know, you're giving thanks a couple weekends ago or just happy that, that the Bengals didn't win. I don't know. Um, but what comes more naturally to us is selfishness. That's what comes naturally. There's a, there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that goes like this, though. Stay with me. It might feel like a rabbit trail, but I promise I'm going somewhere. Spurgeon has this quote where he says, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. What an image. This vivid imagery that Spurgeon uses captures a reality of walking with Christ by faith and being filled with the Holy Spirit in the midst of hardship. It is from a heart filled with the Holy Spirit that we are able to give thanks always for everything. Giving thanks not only in times of ease, but also in times of hardship. Not only in health, but in sickness. Not only in life, but even in death. So when Leah and I weathered our 455 days apart, 15 long months, it was very difficult for me to give thanks in that moment for everything. But what time has given us the perspective to see is just how much God blessed us in that time. So when Leah and I uh, were talking about this, as I was talking about this text with her and how I wanted to talk about it, she reminded me that in that season, it was a time where God blessed us financially for us to get ready to make a, a new way apart from the army. Um, back in 2008, some of you remember what, the, what the, the financial world was like at that time, and it was a disaster. So that was about when I was getting out. So I remember having conversations with my dad, and he's like, are you sure you wanna get out right now? And I was like, I have to get out right now. Um, but God blessed us. There are, there's certain ways you are able to save some extra money in certain circumstances when you're in a combat zone. And uh, I took advantage of some of those things. And God sustained us for six years as we kind of made our way into the next thing during that season. Spiritually speaking, Leah discovered that God put women in her life who encouraged her and walked with her, people that she likely would not have met without being separated from me. And she remains friends with some of them still today. This was 2008. Here we are in 2022. So I found that it was a time in the desert in more ways than one. I use the air quotes because sometimes we use that expression as just times where you're isolated and alone but yeah, it was super dusty. I can tell you crazy stories about being in that environment that are wild. It's kind of Hollywood. Um, God spared my unit from much, like the not much, the wartime violence that was common in those places. I could hear things that were happening, but I never once was afraid for my safety or for the safety of the people in my unit for 15 months. That was not the case in other places in Iraq while I was there. Um, I was able to grow spiritually in my walk with Christ. Um, I was able to grow in my understanding of many things about both God and in myself in that isolation and separation. So what was happening, as I could see it now, is that the Lord used this time to prepare me to launch into ministry as my new vocation, putting me in this pulpit this morning where I'm proclaiming the gospel to you. 
So I didn't have the spiritual maturity to give thanks at that time. I wasn't thankful for what God was doing. But what I've since come to see, even imperfectly, is that my selfishness about my wants, my desires, my timing, my choices, my freedoms was related to how much I believed in Christ showing us the way to love God unselfishly. On the night he was betrayed, as Christ celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, he raised the cup, the sign of his very own blood that was soon to be shed in the painful and shameful death of the cross, in part because one of his friends, his closest friends, is going to betray him, and he gives thanks before calling his disciples to drink it too. I don't want you to miss the weight of that moment. If you celebrate communion with any regularity, sometimes that moment can just kind of pass you right by that Christ gave thanks for that cup. One of my favorite summaries of what Jesus has done for us is in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where he says, Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what Christ was thankful for. Christ, the only true and righteous one, betrayed by his own, soon to suffer a painful and shameful death on the cross for the sins of others, gives thanks for the cup, the blood of the covenant. In a sanctified imagination, I want you to, I want you to go with me for a minute. You should imagine some things. How do you imagine God to be in your life? Is he just kind of some Santa Claus figure who gives you what you want sometimes? Or is he a king who's leading you? Is he a king who looked at his coming death and gave thanks for us? Do you see him as your king? Do you see him as the one who sent the Holy Spirit to be with us? after he would ascend into heaven and take his seat at the right hand of the Father? Do you see him as the one who unites us to himself and gives us the power to follow him, to give thanks always and for everything? Do you see him as the kind of God who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, as we read in Hebrews 12 too? Some of you might be thinking, but James, I can't just give thanks. It's 2022. Don't you read the news? Don't you know about what happened this morning on the way to church? You might think that because maybe your faith isn't in Christ at all yet. Or maybe your faith has been shaken. And to you, if that is hitting home, I want to say, I know. I know. I'm not better than you. It's like, it's like I forget who Jesus is sometimes. As a pastor, I still need the gospel preached to me. We're all like gospel sieves. We're like a, like a colander where you pour water in it, and while you're pouring it, there's still a level where it looks like it's full, but as soon as you stop, it all runs out the bottom. And we're all like that with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's like manna in the wilderness. It doesn't 
keep. You need it every day. So I'm no different from you. I need the gospel preached to me. And you and I both received the invitation this morning. Believe in Christ. Believe in Christ. He goes before us. He leads us. And we must follow him. The Holy Spirit empowers us. So let us look to God to fill us with the Holy Spirit more and more as we stumble our way forward unto glory. Jesus Christ shows us what it looks like in practice to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind in giving thanks. Giving thanks always and for everything. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? The first question, do not pass go, do not collect $200, trying to figure out what it looks like to be thankful always for everything. The question is, is do you believe in Jesus? Not a cultural picture of Jesus softly lit, but our king, the one who has lordship over your entire life in ways that will make your life uncomfortable sometimes. Do you believe in that Jesus? Not the one who just gives you everything you want, but the one who's building his kingdom and including you in it as you turn to him by faith. Do you believe in Jesus? We must have a vision based upon Christ as he is proclaimed in the scriptures of who we are to become in light of who Christ is, uniting to him by faith and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's only after that and only after that that we can proceed to living out the Christian life. Whether you're putting your faith in Christ for the first time today or you are recommitting your life to him by faith, repentance is what each and every one of us is called to, to turn from our sin and to turn to follow him. So we need to search ourselves and we need to listen for God calling us to turn from selfishness and the rest of our ungratefulness to follow after him. Another question is, is are we cultivating a heart of thankfulness for the blessings that we have? It doesn't make sense for a Christian to have a glass half empty heart toward God. The story ends in glory, as the saying goes. Of course, Christians are invited to mourn and lament but Christians are people who mourn not as the world does, but as people with hope. So is your social media usage making you more or less grateful for the work of God in the world? How about your news intake, both print and TV? How about your conversations with folks at work? Are they making you more or less grateful for the work of God in the world? This is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves and consider what changes might need to take place. Corporately, as the church, I'm a guest here, but I can speak to the church, the church, all of us everywhere who are, who are following Christ, we're called to mind our public witness. Let us work together before a watching world to display a heart that is marked by giving thanks to God, especially when it's hard to do so. Not artificially, but truly. This is not about performance. This is about living in union with the lover of your soul. 
This is a way that the church can display that we are people who love the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind as we give thanks. So I asked, how does walking with Christ change our ungratefulness before God? Well, the takeaway from verse 20 is because Christ showed us how to love God in thankfulness, believers ought to follow his lead. So Christ's thankfulness leading up to the cross is so dramatic if we really think about it. I wasn't thankful for the hardships that came my way when I was deployed for that time, but as I look back, it was a wave that threw me against the rock of ages. I'm still learning to kiss the waves. It's okay if you are too. So like Joseph in our Genesis 50 reading this morning, what the devil intends for evil in your life, God can turn for good. In fact, he does for everyone who is in Christ. So my own selfishness can come out in being ungrateful for the good things that I have, like little Miss Veruca, but my selfishness isn't, the, isn't only in being ungrateful. Verse 21 gives us another opportunity to consider how our selfishness can show up. Who here loves being told what to do? Don't put all your hands up at once. Right? We get it. And if we're honest, for a long time that's been the way. Since we were kids. One of the first words that kids learn to say very early on is no! <laughs> right? We prefer the old Burger King slogan, have it your way, right? We have a natural bent toward loving ourselves, but not so much our neighbors. So how does following Christ change the way that we love our neighbor as ourselves? Uh, I've watched my fair share of mixed martial arts in my day. I know that's distasteful for some. I apologize up front if that's distasteful for you. But um, I've learned just enough that I understand what's going on in the sport and in the art sometimes, uh, just a little bit of grappling. But if you don't know anything about it, here's what you need to know. That matches for sport are won by scoring. There's points. They're won by knockouts or submission. Submission. That word might bring up in your mind the face of a fighter who is grimacing in the final moments before they tap out. If you've ever seen mixed martial arts combat. To show that they've accepted defeat. Submission may conjure up lots of feelings that make us uncomfortable. Being dominated, abused, overpowered, defeated. God's word presents submission in a whole new way for believers, though. The more we read, the less we see submission as an only abusive thing in God's kingdom. In fact, because of Christ, an entirely different kind of submission is possible when filled with the Holy Spirit as we follow Christ. It is completely different from how our culture thinks about it because it is a loving submission. In verse 21, we see that submitting to one another is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. As I've already mentioned this morning, it is fruit of being connected to the living vine who is Jesus Christ, as we read in John 15. In fact, submitting to one another is to be done in reverence for Christ. This, is, this word reverence is about a holy fear. Not the kind of fear that makes you cower in the corner and weep uncontrollably, but this holy fear and respect that causes you to honor Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another is not our culture's idea of egalitarian sub submission. And this verse 
verse 21, is a pivot point in Ephesians 5 for explaining the ways that we submit to one another according to God's word. Because in the following verses, that's what he goes to unpack. So I won't steal the, the, the thunder from another sermon that gets into that text, but what I can say at a minimum is this, is that this kind of submission is the same kind of submission that Paul described in Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. The way that we can unlock what it means to submit to one another is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. This is a, this is a, uh, a technique that you would be surprised in a reform context, we take it for granted, but here I am on campus, and you, would, you watch eyebrows go up when you say that. But we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So we look to Jesus Christ as he submitted to God the Father. As we, read, uh, as, as we do read in Luke 22, where Jesus prays before going to the cross, not my will, but yours be done. Then Christ submitted to the guards, the chief priests, the officers, the elders, the people unto death for people like us so that we could be free of our own lovelessness toward one another so we could be free from the chains of sin and death. When Simon Peter draws his sword and fights to keep Jesus from submitting to the guards, Jesus reminded him that he could appeal to his father and he would at once send more than 12 legions of angels. Oh, that's a lot of angels. He who created mankind in his image submitted to his creation to be mocked, beaten, and killed shamefully on a cross. As he died, he prayed, even for those who hated him, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He is the one we're united to by faith. I pause there because that's not what you hear from a lot of people who claim Christ. This is the Jesus that we're called to follow. So I asked, how does following Christ change the way we love our neighbor as ourselves? The answer is that Christ showed us how to love one another in submission. And so believers ought to follow his lead. So instead of, li of living selfishly and unlovingly toward our neighbors, Christ shows us a way, the way, to love our neighbors as ourselves in submitting to each other for the good of the other. God's kingdom is truly an upside-down kingdom compared to the world. Instead of demanding that others submit to us for our good, Christ modeled how we could submit to one another for their good. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we too are empowered to walk in his footsteps in holy submission. We don't have to go on blowing off those good and right times to submit to one another like Veruca, ignoring Wonka's and her father's words. Here's how we can apply this. Submit to Christ by faith. This is where we must begin. Otherwise, we are striving after works righteousness and it's going to fall apart. 
Sooner or later, it will fall apart if we try to do this in the power of our flesh. So let each of us, as much as it depends on us, look to seize the opportunities to submit to one another as Christ submitted. Many of you are young enough that you're dreaming about probably leading different things, whether it's businesses or maybe clubs. I see some young faces in the room. Older folks in here are, are probably interested in leading maybe different ministries or activities in their communities. Do you want to lead? Practicing submission is the condition for qualification for leadership in the kingdom. Submission to Christ, first and foremost. We are not fit to lead others if we cannot submit to one another as Christ gave himself up for the church. Consider this. How is the church at large? And then you guys can have a conversation among yourselves, amongst yourselves about how is your church in particular doing and cultivating a, a heart where submission is put into practice to love one another. If you're hurt, I don't want you to speed past that point and immediately become accusatory. Take time and take stock of where God is at work and give him thanks. Where do you see it already happening? Where do you see the good things happening? Where do you see a need for more of it? Where do you see opportunities for growth? I encourage you to meditate on that and perhaps maybe a good conversation or two will follow from it. I asked at the beginning, where do we turn to deal with our selfishness? Once we put our faith in Christ, we are transformed from death into life. We are transformed from being ungrateful to thankful. We go from not submitting to one another to laying down our lives for one another. We become a lot less like Veruca and a lot more like Jesus. We don't persist in being ungrateful like I was when I was deployed, but we become grateful for what God has done for us. Submission doesn't remain only a shameful thing, but it becomes glorious because it is the way that we love our neighbors. Why? Because if we are in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and he has empowered us to love God and love our neighbor like he does. No, we won't do it perfectly, but we will stumble our way forward unto glory. So where do we turn to deal with our selfishness? Because Christ showed us how to love, we ought to follow his lead. So may God give us the grace here and now in the midst of a deeply fractured culture with a pandemic that just won't quit, where things are so contentious. Would God give us the grace to be different than the unbelieving world? Would our neighbors come to know us, every Christian they meet, every group of Christians they meet, as a community that is deeply thankful to God for who he is and how he has readily laid down his life for us in Jesus. And he shows us the way to submit to one another for each other's good. And in doing that, may Christ decrease. I mean, we decrease and may Christ increase. That was a close one. To him be all the glory. Let's pray. Lord, I know tender consciences in the room might be struggling right now because I'm one of them. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work assuring us, testifying to our spirit that we are children of God. 
and all the ways that we fall short, that our performance is not what saves us. All the ways that we don't submit and we don't love and we don't give thanks as we ought to, those things sometimes shout in our ears and make us feel like we are too far from your love, too far to be reached by your grace. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is that we are not too far from your love. We are not too far from your grace. So Lord, help us to turn from our sin and help us to trust in you by faith alone that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that we would be transformed into the kind of people that reflect your glory. So Lord, be with us now as we go our separate ways after this service. Bless the meal that we are about to partake of and I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.